Good morning, Parkway Church. How are you guys doing today? Good. I'm so glad that you're here with us as we continue our journey through Scripture together. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here, and it really is my privilege each and every week to open the Bible with you and to dig in to see what God is calling us to do, how we can take our next steps with him. We're in the middle of a series right now called Asking for a Friend, where we are looking at the wisdom literature in the Bible, the book of Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, to look and see how we can answer some of life's questions. Today, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. Next week, we're going to be in the book of Song of Solomon. If you've ever read the book of Song of Solomon, you know that that might just might be a PG-13 level message. It's all about love and romance, husband and wife. You get the picture? But know this, if it truly is a PG-13 message for me, it won't be that PG-13, otherwise I would turn red the entire time, all right? But next week, look forward to Song of Solomon. Today, Ecclesiastes, before I jump into today's talk, though, there are a few things I want to let you know about in the life of the church, and I want to pray for three specific things. The first one is this. I hope that everyone at every location, whether you're at Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, even if you've gathered at Parkway Online today, we want everyone connected to a small group. We believe that every man, woman, and child needs to prioritize connection to community because that's one of the paths that God uses to grow us as a disciple. And so I, I just encourage you to prioritize. Know who your circle is. Know who your friends are that you're growing together with. In each and every location, we've got an insert in the bulletin that shows you the types of groups we have and the days that they're offered. We have groups virtually every day of the week for every age and life stage, so we encourage you to prioritize that connection to community. Also, as you consider where you're going to connect, I want to invite you just one more time, the second thing, to consider where you're going to serve. In the bulletin today, there's an insert, and next week's going to be the last week we have it in. But what we want to do, it's actually not an insert, it's the second half of the bulletin. What I want you to do is look at those and see those are real needs within the church. I'm praying for people that will step in to serve on Wednesday nights with our kids in small groups, K through five, and will lead a couple of table groups for adults. Very easy to do in both settings because we give you what you need to lead. I'm praying for five couples to say, you know what, I'll serve kids on Sunday mornings a couple times a month. I'm praying for some single adults that'll step in and college students that'll step in and say, you know what, I can serve a couple times a month and help kids learn about Jesus. We give you everything you need. We just need you to say, hey, you know what, God is growing me and God has gifted me and now I'm ready to let God use me. And we're praying specifically for folks to step in at every location to invest their lives in kids and in others through small groups. And then also the third thing that I'm praying for is that we would have people step in and be a part of our backpack ministry. Each and every week during the school year, we distribute food to kids on campus. When the school's meeting, we do our best to get food to the hungriest kids on campus. We find the 25 hungriest kids on campus uh, in partnership with the schools and in partnership with the food bank. And, and we have people from our church that deliver the food to the campus each week and build relationships with the campus liaison, and hopefully down the road can even talk to some of the kids. And so if you'd be interested in, in maybe meeting the needs at your kid's school, uh, you can write backpack on that serving, that serving sheet and drop that in the offering at the end of the service as well. It's a great ministry that we do because we want kids to, to go to school and learn and grow and know that God loves them. It's one of the ways that we serve others to share the love and message of Jesus. 
I know I just encourage you to go serve others. And, and let me just finish with this thought before we pray. I encourage you to find your place to connect and serve. Because Jesus says that no one is greater than their master. And he came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he calls us to serve others like he served us. Now, we won't die on the cross and we won't come back to life again on the third day like he did. But what we will do is lay our life down. What we will do is sacrifice some of our time and our talent to go and serve others. What we will do is deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. So I just encourage you to consider that as your next step. So let's pray together real quick, and then we'll jump into the book of Ecclesiastes. Father, I thank you for the chance to invite our church family to take their next step with you. God, may many say yes to this invitation, to connect in a group or to serve others. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church meet the needs of kids in our local school districts. Lord, help us to be a church that looks to bless others, and Lord, may you use what we do here locally and globally. May you use what we do to point others to your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So the whole concept behind this series is that there are many times when we hide the question that we're asking for ourselves. We're hiding the question behind the hashtag, asking for a friend. Um, so like right now, somebody's posting online. The, the pastor wasn't talking to me, was he? asking for a friend. God doesn't want me to serve him, does he? Asking for a friend. I'm too busy for a small group, right? Asking for a friend. Like you're hiding the question behind the hashtag. And we're looking at the word of God to see, okay, what is the answer to the question that we ask for ourselves and for others? And today's question is, what's life all about? And we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, which is written by one of the most fascinating people in Scripture, his name is Solomon. We got to know Solomon a few weeks back in our, in our study of kings and kingdoms. Remember David, his father, King David, passed away. And, and Solomon was put in as the future leader of Israel, the king of Israel. And, and Solomon was young when he took the throne. And so there's this fascinating prayer in, in 1 Kings chapter 2 that Solomon prays to God. Solomon is young, and he's got all these people to lead. And so he goes to God, and he says, God, make me discerning, make me wise so that I can lead these people well. And God heard that prayer and was so pleased with that prayer that he made Solomon wiser than anybody else. He made Solomon a man who would be able to make decisions and write proverbs and, and lead well because of what he asked for. In fact, God said, because you didn't ask for great wealth or you didn't ask to, to live long life, I will give you both the wisdom you pray for and the honor that you deserve. I will give you the wisdom that you pray for and wealth beyond anyone else. I will give it to you. You know, what Solomon did is he went to God with a real need. He didn't treat God like a genie in the bottle and just say, God, give me wealth, give me riches, and give the Cowboys a Super Bowl season, right? He didn't, he didn't go and pray for the Aggies. He didn't go and pray for the Longhorns. You're like, yeah, because they don't need to be prayed for. They're good. But, but what he did is he went with a real need, and God honored that. Now, he wasn't a perfect man. We're going to see that Solomon was a really smart guy who did some really stupid things. He had too many wives and too many concubines. 
It's a different day and a different age, but it's always wrong. And so we're going to see a man who tests the limits of life in every area. And here's what I hope that you can learn today and what I can learn today is that if this guy Solomon, who God made wiser and wealthier and more influential than anyone else ever, if God, if God, if God taught this guy lessons, can he teach us the same lessons through his experience? Like, like do we have to know that that puddle is wet by jumping in it? Or can we just look and go, hey, I've been told that, okay, South Texas, here's what a puddle is. Sometimes it rains. Sometimes it rains and it collects water. And, and, and that collecting of water is, is wet, right? And it can be muddy. Do you have to jump into that puddle to know that it's wet and muddy? Or can you just learn from others' experience? I've just shared with you a way that you can stay clean, and, and do you, but do you have to jump in the puddle to prove it's wet to yourself? I would hope not. And Solomon, the wisest, richest, most influential man, he tested the areas of life to find meaning. And I hope we can learn from his experiments, from his tests, where real meaning in life is found. So let's jump in together. Ecclesiastes 1, and we're going to be in verses 12 through 18. Here's what the Bible says. I, and then I insert the word Solomon, so you know who's writing this. The teacher has, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, Solomon's going to refer to himself in the third person, that teacher role, over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Mike doesn't like it when people refer to themselves in third person. Mike doesn't like that at all. But Mike sees Solomon do it over and over and over and over again. And Mike's glad that you got that joke. <laughs> so Solomon, the teacher, I applied my mind to study and to explore wisdom of all that's done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So Solomon's going to use some language throughout this book, this under the sun living. It's just this life here on earth and no eternal perspective. Life here on earth and no relationship with God. He's going to say that this life under the sun is like chasing the wind. Have you ever caught the wind? No. But you've chased it a lot. And you're going to see how he chased the wind. And he says, you know, some things are just never going to change in the world. What's crooked cannot be straightened. What's lacking cannot be counted. And then he said to himself, verse 16, Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly. So he's beginning to tell us how he tested every area of life. He started with wisdom, and then he went to madness and folly. So he looked at the full spectrum of life, the wise decision, the foolish decision, the, 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 the right decision, the fun decision. Like he tested the full spectrum of life. And what did he learn? He learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And so what we're gonna see through the book of Ecclesiastes today is the, the results of Solomon's experiment. He's going to look at five areas of life to see if he can find meaning in those areas of life. And, and what he's going to discover, and I'll go ahead and just cut to the end. He's going to discover that life is only found 
life with meaning is only found in one place. He tests everything and then comes back with the conclusion, the end of the matter. So what did he test? Well, the first thing he tested was pleasure. And I would think that there was a season in his life where his motto was, if it feels good, do it. And at the end of that season, like the alcoholic that comes and says, that's not a good drink. At the end of that season, Solomon looks at the use of his pleasures and he says, pleasures are meaningless. You can fill in that blank. He let his gut be his guide. He let his eyes lead him. He let what he wanted determine his steps. And in the end, he came back and he said, pleasures are meaningless. Listen to how he unpacks this. I denied myself nothing, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. So if he saw it and he wanted it, he would get it. Whether that was a possession or a person or a pal, I mean, a place, he would get it. I denied myself nothing my eye, that, that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. If his heart said, hey, that looks like a good idea, what did he do? He went for it. His feelings were his leader. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was a reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So he went for pleasure is his first point to find meaning. He says, surely if I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, I will find meaning. And so he did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it all the time. And he ran that road until he realized it's a dead-end street. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. Pleasures don't bring meaning, Solomon would say. So he went from one extreme to another. And he said, if pleasures don't bring meaning, maybe education and learning will bring meaning to life. Maybe if I have another degree on the wall, I will feel better about who I am and have meaning in life. And he came to this conclusion that wisdom is meaningless too. You can fill in that blank. That wisdom is meaningless. Okay, if pleasure is meaningless, let's see if we can get on the good side and learn and grow and develop ourselves educationally and see if we find meaning there. He said, it is meaningless. It is useless. It's chasing after the wind. Listen to how he wrote it. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what's already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Remember last week we studied the book of Proverbs and said, don't be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear God and shun evil. Well, Solomon says, hey, it's, it's better. Wisdom is better than folly. It's better than the pleasure that doesn't lead anywhere. Wisdom is better, but it's not everything that you're looking for. Wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their head while the fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will also overtake me. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. So he looked out over the landscape and he looked at the one who's wise and he looked at the one who's foolish and said, in the end, we're all going to die. And so wisdom isn't going to change how my life ends. There's coming a day when another degree, when another certification, when another, another graduation ceremony isn't going to add anything to my life. You know, and I, 
served in Washington. I moved offices one time. And uh, in this new office, I wanted to really make it nice. And so I got my diploma from college, and I got my diploma from graduate school, and I got my license and my ordination. Those are certifications as a pastor. And I framed them all so they were nice and pretty. And I invited Christy to come up and hang them on the wall so they'd be straight. And as I sat in my office for the first day, a buddy of mine came in, and he said, I like what you've done with the place. And he looked over at that wall of the pretty frames and diplomas and certifications, and he says, and I really like your I love Mike wall. <laughs> My what? He said, your I love Mike wall. He said, I really like that. I said, I said what are you saying? He said, you put that up there so you'd feel better about you. You put that up there thinking that other people would like you more when they saw that you love you. You realize we love you even if you don't have pretty framed diplomas on the wall, Mike. Well, he wasn't in my new office very long that day. <laughs> but what he was trying to teach me, and it's a lesson that we've all got to learn, that that next degree, that next wisdom, lived apart from God, will not bring the satisfaction you're looking for, no matter how straight they hang on the wall. So he looked at pleasures and he looked at wisdom. And then he did what Dave Ramsey would tell many to do when they're looking for, like, getting out of debt or getting out of trouble financially. He went to work. He, he got out, he killed something, and he started dragging it home. And, and Solomon worked hard. He rebuilt temple. He rebuilt a temple. He rebuilt palaces. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He built a lot. And, and what did he find? He found that work is meaningless. Can I get an Amen. I knew if I asked for an amen on the pleasures are meaningless, it would have been like, amen. But work is meaningless. Amen, pastor. He never preached better than before, never ever better than this one. Today, work is meaningless. And men, let me talk to, to you specifically. Hear from Solomon that your meaning as a man isn't found in what you do. Ladies that say, hey, I've got to be known for something besides my kids and my husband and my house know this. Your meaning isn't found in what you do. And Solomon discovered this. Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 2, 23, 23. So my heart began to despair over all the toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. He says a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, which means they do a good job, which means that they would earn a good living. They would have an influence over people. But in the end, what happens? And then they must leave all that they own to another who is not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. So Solomon looked out and he said, in the end, if I work hard with great wisdom and skill, if I work hard and do a good job, in the end, I still have to leave all of this to them. And that is, that they haven't worked for it. So that is like meaningless. That's chasing after the wind. I'm gonna work hard so they don't have to. And he's not real pleased with that as being the end result of his work. Listen to this. He continues, verse 22. What do people get from, the, from all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Now we know that one of the reasons that Work is full of grief and pain, as that's one of the punishments from the Garden of Eden. 
Work is now work because we are sinners. And Solomon says, all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. He looks and says, being consumed by your work all the time is meaningless. You know, he writes about our world, but he lived in his world. Did you see? He wrote that at night, their minds do not rest. He didn't have Wi-Fi. He didn't have a phone. He didn't have always on texting from other people. He didn't have email that would draw him in. I mean, I like to look and say the reason that I don't let my mind rest is because of technology, whether it's social media or texting or email or the blue light that comes off TV. We like to make excuses for ourselves. But reality is, one of the signs that we're finding our meaning in the wrong place is that our lives look like Solomon's here. Their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And then he goes on, and I'm gonna be very quick with these last two. He goes on next and says, okay, if work doesn't do it, then maybe that's because I'm not doing the right type of work. Maybe, just maybe, happiness is found in what I do next. Happiness is found right around the bend. I see believers do this all the time. I'm unhappy right now, so I'm gonna go buy a new house and see if happiness comes with that house. I'm unhappy right now, so I'm gonna get a new spouse to see if happiness comes with that spouse. I'm unhappy now, and so maybe, just maybe, what comes next, the husband that I want, the wife that I want, will bring happiness. Maybe that promotion that I'm looking for will truly make me happy at work. We're looking for happiness right around the bend, and and friends, that road never ends. Solomon concluded that advancement, what is next, is meaningless too. Ecclesiastes 4, 13. Listen to this word picture. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. He said it's better to be a poor, wise youth, one who has no position, one who has no influence but is content in the day, than it is to be an old king who won't take a warning on anything. It's better to be happy with who you are today than it is to always be looking for tomorrow because tomorrow you might not like the person that you have become, like an old king who won't heed a warning. Hear it. If you can't be happy with who you are today, you won't be happy with who you are tomorrow, no matter what comes next. If you can't be satisfied and content in what God has given you today, you won't be satisfied or content in what you long for tomorrow. And Solomon's gonna prove it because his fifth experiment, he went from pleasures to wisdom to work to advancement. And his next one was riches. And he he looked and said, like many of you and many people like I would try as well, well, money will just solve all my problems. And, And hear this, money will solve some problems, Money will also cause some problems that we'll discover here in this passage. Money will solve some problems, but it won't solve the problem of meaning and purpose in life. He came to this conclusion, riches are meaningless. 
So you say, Mike, so far I've learned that pleasure is meaningless, wisdom is meaningless, work is meaningless, advancement is meaningless, and riches are meaningless. Sure, I'm glad I came to church today. Welcome to Parkway. We're glad you're here. But listen to how he described it. And this is a guy that's richer than all of us put together. This is a guy that had more wealth, more wisdom, more experiences. And then he looked and said, in the end, even riches are meaningless. Whoever does, whoever loves money never has enough. Now, just to be clear, money's not the problem, but loving money is always a problem. Money isn't a problem, but when you love it, you're creating problems. They never have enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now, listen to how practical it gets. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. As you earn more, what do you do? You spend more. As you earn more, what do you do? You buy more. As you earn more, what do you do? You have more kids, and they consume it all. <laughs> and what benefit are they to the owners? All that stuff, except to feast their eyes on. Is there really any meaning in having the, the best man cave around? Is there really any meaning to having the best deer lease with the best guns and, and four-wheelers on it? Is there really any meaning? And if you just said yes under your breath, I heard you. <laughs> Is there really any meaning to getting everything you want materially? Those purses, those shoes. Is there really any meaning to seeing a closet that's full of everything that you want? and then realizing you still want more? Is there meaning in, in getting the latest and the greatest? It doesn't last. Listen to this, verse 12. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or eat much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Solomon says that if you're a laborer, you're working for your food every day. You're not rich. You're working for your family every day. You don't have more than you need. You're working. But what does he say? That you sleep if you're a laborer. When you aren't loving money and chasing more and more, when you aren't loving money, when you are satisfied with what God has given you, what's the Bible say here? You rest. But that rich one who never has enough, that rich one who's never satisfied with their income, that rich one who's bought everything but feels nothing, they can't sleep. There's no rest. See, with more money comes more problems. You can't find meaning there. So where does Solomon land in finding meaning? Fill in this blank. Finding meaning in life is found not in our pursuit of pleasure, not in our pursuit of knowledge, not in our everyday work, not in what's next with advancement, and definitely not in loving money. Meaning in life is found in one place only. Listen to how Solomon concluded it all. Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. Not only was the teacher wise, Mike reminds you that Solomon's still talking about himself in third person. Mike still doesn't like that. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. 
The words of the wise are like goads. Those are, that's a tool that directs cattle. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, an anchor point for our lives, given by one shepherd. He says, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Don't add to God's word. Everybody's writing something, but you need to listen to God's word. Of making many books, there is no end. And if much study wearies the body. And now the conclusion, verse 13. And now all of this has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. He tested everything, and now he comes back and says, meaning in life is found here. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Where is your meaning found? It's found in your relationship with God. You could have all the money in the world and have no relationship with God or not see him as the provider, even as a believer, and you have emptiness. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. You could have everything that everyone wants, what's coming next. You could have the best job. You could have the best education. You could chase all the pleasures under the sun, and without God, you will see that it's meaningless. What is it that makes life matter? That we fear God. Which means that there are some pleasures we can chase, we fear God. There are some pleasures we will never pursue because we fear God. And then we follow God. Our job isn't just our job. Our job is what God has given us. Our education isn't just our education. Our education is how God is developing us so that we can do what he's called us to do in life. Our advancement isn't our goal, but where God advances us, he gets the credit, he gets the glory. We're not lovers of money. In fact, we're people that see God as the provider of our money. Friends, I want you to get it. Each of these areas can bring great benefit to life, but they are not where life is found. Life is found in your relationship with God. And why God? Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So we look and we say, we have a choice to make. What's life all about? Is life all about what I can experience? Is life all about what I can learn? Is life all about my work? Is life all about what's next? And is life all about the, the almighty dollar? What's life all about? Solomon would say that life is about my relationship with God. It's not about those things. Maybe today you're here and you're convicted. Hey, I've been living the American dream, but not God's dream for my life. I mean, the American dream, that's about pleasure. That's about education. That's about work. That's about advancement. That's about cha-ching. That's where we find our meaning. That's the American dream. Don't settle for the American dream when you can live the dream that God has for your life. Don't settle for the American dream when God is calling you to something altogether greater and better for you. Solomon says, find your meaning. Not in what you have, not in what you do, not in what you know, not in what you want, but instead, you find your meaning in my loving relationship with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to open your word and to learn and to grow together today. Help us to apply this message to our lives. 
And God, where we've been chasing the American dream, God, I, I'm so guilty of that. Where we've been chasing the American dream, God, I pray that you help us to pick up your dream for our life. God, help us to follow you and to fear you as our duty and our privilege. Church family, if you are here and you go, you know what, I, I'm, I've been living the wrong dream or I've been chasing the wrong things and all I'm catching is the wind. Confess that to God and commit yourself to your relationship with him. As you do that, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus yet, your step isn't to repent and recommit to Christ. Your step is to believe in Christ and find life. See, the reason we can have meaning is because Jesus 2,000 years ago died on the cross for us. They laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he was raised again from the dead. The reason we can have meaning is because God himself sent his son, and he invites you. The Bible says that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and he invites you to believe in him and to find life, life forever with God in heaven and a new life here on earth. Find your meaning, not in yourself, but in the Son of God who died for you. Today's your day to believe. You can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, and you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place. Today, I believe. And today, I thank you for giving me life. 